everybody. Welcome back to the Overrun Podcast. My name is Ed Bowder. I'm Dan Schwester. And we're going to uh, do our update on the world falling apart today. Yeah, things got uh, <laughs> things got real. Um, you know, if you haven't been quarantined or on an island somewhere. <laughs> yeah, practicing your uh, your social distancing. It is kind of fun for, you know, introverts who are like, oh no, you mean I have to stay inside and watch Netflix? No. It sounds terrible. Oh, wait. I, that Monty Python song, Always Look on the Bright Side of right, Life. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the little things in life. It's the little things. So uh, there have been a, a bunch of things that have come out um, since we last recorded that have talked about how to handle coronavirus or COVID-19 um, when you're dealing on the front lines of medicine. I will say there's probably going to be a lot of videos that are going to come out Um our medical director at the MD1 program has put out or will be putting out daily videos about uh, healthcare providers and coronavirus. But one thing to, that to note is you're going to start seeing videos on YouTube that won't mention coronavirus or COVID-19 by name because YouTube has actually demonetized videos with the phrase coronavirus or COVID-19. So if you're someone who watches YouTube or consumes YouTube a lot like I do, you're going to find that the, the title of those videos is going to go away, but the information is not. So right. just keep that in mind. So as we're recording this today, we're recording on March 20th um, of 2020. Big day. Yeah, 3 Oh, by the way, today is match day. Um, for those uh, aspiring physicians that listen to the show, congratulations to those of you who have matched. One of our own, Mike DeFilippo, matched into emergency medicine. So we want to give congratulations to him before we start talking about the whole world. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, and uh, we're going to need you. So um, stay healthy. Yeah, we're super excited for him here at the network. And also, uh, he's... He's going to be jumping in, uh, as with every other physician. Um, really interesting time to be matching in medicine. So right now, uh, we have the Johns Hopkins page up. This is coronavirus.jhu.edu. We're going to post this in the show notes. Right now, there are 255,305 total confirmed cases from Hopkins. Uh, this has resulted in 10,444 deaths as of about an hour prior to our recording. There's uh, a little over 14,600 cases in the United States. Uh, and those numbers are going to keep on growing. And we're not really going to talk about the testing stuff, although there is problems with the testing, availability, um, and like that. But the numbers are probably artificially low. Um, so that's a big concern that I think we, we all yeah, have. Yeah, I, I, I think the mentality needs to be, and, you know, people, you know, being a frontline medic, you know, in this thing, um, it's here. Let's just let's yep. just admit it's here. Let's just admit this is happening. Um, it's now time to start protecting yourselves. Um, it's time to start thinking about, uh, how am I going to modify practice, um, to protect myself, my patients and my next patient yep. the best possible way we can. Well, I think the, that's where we need to start thinking. And this is one of the things where we're always taught in EMT and medic school, you know, who's the most important person on the scene I am. Right. And we kind of just you know, toss that aside as something that we've kind of arbitrarily learned, but it's really important now, especially in this case, because so it, let's back up a little bit. One of the concerns a lot of people have is people have been quarantined um, or practicing social distancing, sure. and it tends to come across, especially for, you know, aficionados of social media, that this isn't really a big deal. And part of the reason that people think it's not a big deal is because there have been people who have gone on television and said it's not a big deal. They are wrong. Um, but it's because that this particular strain of coronavirus is part of the coronaviridae family, which is what causes the common cold, right? Yeah, and I, I, I think people minimize that because, like, oh, it's a cold virus. We have tons of them. Right, but it's it's the cold virus, but it's also, like, SARS and MERS are also the cold virus. Yeah. So they're they're all members of coronaviridae, so it's all, it's it can be 
worse. You know, it's kind of like saying that, you know, chicken pox is part of the herpes family, but you wouldn't conf- confuse genital herpes with chicken pox, you know. Yeah. Um, it, but that's but yeah. that's literally the argument that's being made. It's so, it's a shallow kind of it's a shallow puddle of an argument. Right, exactly. And it's, you know, you're wrong. So <laughs> so the reason that this ends up being important is it's not so much about you, although there have been numbers that have come out where about 30% of the hospitalizations are between the ages of 25 and 44. Um, generally speaking, it's a fairly minor illness for younger people. Um, generally. Generally. And, again, and, there's, and, there's and remember, the, the data on this is changing. Okay, originally, you know, and, and, you know, you saw this on social media, like, well, I'm young, I can't get it. No, you can get it. Or I'm young, it's not going to hit me as hard, I'll be fine. No, you can be really sick. Mm -hmm. It's potentially dangerous. Um, What it does is it has a propensity to go for older people with comorbidities. But that doesn't mean young, healthy people are not right now in ventilators proned out with ARDS because that's happening. So well, you need to be cognizant of that. Well, and there's other, you know, kind of intangibles, too, that factor into it. If you have, you know, under, underlying comorbidities or if you're a smoker or if, you're, if you've vaped in the past. Ed. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, well, and listen, like I, I personally, I have my own comorbidities aside from my social sure. habits. You know, I'm a cancer survivor, so there's an issue with that, yep. too. No, no. Um, so, you know, while all those things are out there, it's it is possible to get sick from it. But again, the issue isn't it's not about you. And this is one of those times where we talk a lot about, a lot in medicine about how we're not the priority. It's all about the patient. And I mean, it, it's difficult to think in recent memory when that has been more applicable than it is now, where, you know, if you're working as a medic, you're going to see let's say you see seven patients in a day. Right. Let's just ballpark average. You see seven patients. Okay. If four of those patients are elderly and are at the at-risk category, then you've potentially spread that to four patients. And then those four patients are going to go into a hospital where there's going to be X amount of people in the ER. And one of the ways that the virus spreads is through droplets. Right. So if that patient has a cough and they're being wheeled through the ER or they're being wheeled up to X-ray or they're being wheeled into CAT scan or wheeled up to the unit where they're coughing on everybody, now it's being spread. Yeah. So it's not... It's not about you feeling fine. It's about you potentially spreading it to other people. And that's why we have this social isolation. And and some of this we can't prevent. Look, there are going to be people there. The, the, the data we have right now does show that there is a significant group or subset that is asymptomatic. Now, you can't prevent that. Look, you can be completely fine. You can be carrying this. No one's blaming you. No one's saying you're a bad person. But. We have to do the social distancing. We have to start thinking about how we interact with our patients. We have to think about how we're going to do simple things so that we're protecting, we're protecting ourselves and protecting them as much as possible. Well, and that's the thing is that if you're a carrier or even if you're, you're asymptomatic, you would have no way of knowing it. And like, it's interesting to me that as a society, we kind of fail to learn these things because, you know, in the eighties you would have like during the AIDS outbreak, you would have people who would say, I feel fine. And they were still, you know, spreading a virus, which I, and I'm not. Well, I'm not, history, I'm, look, history way, repeats not, itself. I'm not comparing HIV to coronavirus. That's not, that's not the goal of that statement. But what I'm saying is like, we always have things where it's like, no, I feel fine. There's plenty of people that we that we know personally, anecdotally, and who our listeners know who go to work because they feel fine. And then they've had the flu or they've, you know, even just had a regular look, we've cold. We've all done it. it. Yeah. Who hasn't done it? You're an EMS. Look at our profession. Yeah. 
Medicine is not a self-care profession. Right. We never have been. We've talked about this multiple shows about mental health and taking care of yourselves and how we don't eat right and all this stuff. This is just another brick in that wall that we've got to really look at. Right. And that's the thing. It was like, you know, if you have a cough, try if you are working for a project that will allow you to not go to work, which is another, you know, kind of social issue we have to tackle. If you're sick, don't go to work. And even if you're not, you know, you need to kind of protect yourself in these settings. So we want to talk about how to actually protect ourselves as best um, because now we're starting to run into problems because in a perfect world, you know, we'd have N95 masks. We would have endless supplies of gloves and gowns. We'd be prepared. And everyone and we can be have in level, yeah. yeah. Everyone can be in like level three PPE for everything. But we're in a world where we're running out of N95 masks. Yeah. Um, and supply chains are low. We, yep. we, we're running into a lot of issues, um, in the field. I'm sure those of you out there who are working in your own places are seeing this, um, some really, really crazy solutions of, you know, how are we going to get people the stuff they need? How are we going to protect ourselves? Um, now what we're going to talk about, one of the things I want to talk about and we're, you know, getting into the episode when we get down to the nitty gritty of this guys, remember, all of this is off-label. This is an ad hoc effort by a bunch of people on social media. There's groups. There's some. We're going to link to some really good groups, uh, some people on social media that you we think you should be following and paying yep. attention to. Uh, all of this is off-label. All of this is all conjecture. This is just people sitting around in the middle of the night going, what am I going to do? And we're brainstorming. Um my advice is bring this stuff back to your medical directors, bring your stuff back to your supervisors, uh, talk to your partners, um, work within your policies, work within your scope, you know, do the things that you need to do. But just remember, you know, take this with a grain of salt. Don't just do it because we said, said, yep. yeah, hey, try this. Um, some of this stuff we're going to try some of the stuff I know we're all we're going to incorporate in our practice, but that doesn't mean that that's going to that's going to necessarily work for you. Well, and also you have to consider this is a, it's a fairly unprecedented situation that we're in and, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. So first thing, let's get into PPE. So, you know, gloves typically aren't a big problem. Like gloves are kind of mass producing, they're generally available and they're basic you should use. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think it's probably safe to say, you know, and, and I do this, like I, been degloving a lot lately you know in the Mm -hmm. past i'm probably gloving more just to give you that extra layer um simple things don't touch your face which you do not realize how how much you do that until someone tells you not to do it it's like it's like when they're like don't think of how your tongue feels in your mouth and you're like oh oh god it's everywhere yeah but you don't realize how often you actually have your hand on or near your face until someone's like hey don't do that um, and obviously, like, there's simple things like wash your hands as often as you should, which is not something we should Absolutely. have to tell healthcare people. And listen, soap, plain soap and water is proven to be effective. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be antibacterial, antiviral. It doesn't have to be any of these crazy things. But every patient contact, you should go washing your hands. If you don't, if you can't wash your hands, hand sanitizer, yeah. hand hygiene, hand hygiene. That is going to be the first line of defense here. And something that's interesting is you don't realize the services you don't hit with soap. Um, Ava DuVernay is a director. Um, she posted an interesting video on Twitter the other day where she took white gloves with uh, black paint and she actually kind of like, you know, scrubbed her hands for 10 or 15 seconds. 
and then you saw like the backs of her hands didn't have any paint on it. So then she employed, you know, the back, the hand washing on the back of her hands. And huh. there was, there was, there, you could see like all the the white areas, the little. So it actually is showing like how to get your nails and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's interesting to see because you watch it, be like, oh, I've never done that. So you actually, you know, you're not getting all the surfaces. So, um, and we all know the twenty second, you know, rule while you're washing your hands, you know, yeah. saying happy birthday or whatever. So that works. Um, so for masks, if you don't have an N95, first of all, if you have a mask available to you, use it, um, I, yeah, especially if the patient is coughing. Um, and the other thing is, if you don't have an N95 mask or a surgical mask, there's options that you might have to use. There's some anecdotal evidence that even using a bandana, um, you know, can reduce the spread of things to the size of five microns. Yeah, even the CDC is saying that. I don't necessarily, I, I mean, I guess it's better than nothing. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the point that we're getting to where I don't I'm not saying that you should roll around with a bandana on your face, you know, when you're interacting with patients, because, A, I think it kind of looks like you're pulling up a bank robbery and B, you know, I, I'm not convinced that it's necessary for every patient contact. But if you're in a situation where you don't have an N95 mask, you don't have a surgical mask, that might be your best option. Right. Um, so let's talk about masks. First thing is surgical masks. Yeah. Um they are a good first line of defense. Um, I think we've kind of poo-pooed them a little bit in this, but you got to remember where you're, who you're going to use it for. Put it on the patient. Yeah. Okay. First, you want it on the patient because that's going to trap all those respiratory droplets that are going to come out of their nose and mouth. Um, we've been using this. My partner, Kevin and I are partners um, at work. We've been doing this with a couple of suspected cases and it worked fairly well. Um, N95s, if they're in short supply, um, like our, you know, there are places around us that are saying, hey, surgical masks for every contact. If you're going to do airway stuff, you know, resuscitative stuff, then you put the N95 on. I suppose in a time of limited resources, that's probably what, that's probably prudent. Um, I wouldn't call it reasonable. I would say it's probably the best we can do at the time. Um, you know, I know that there are some people that are walking around with the uh, half face, like paint respirators and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, listen, they're P100 filters. They'll filter out all the particulates. I mean, it's not a bad idea, but don't forget now you have to decon that after every patient contact. Yep. Okay. That's that's a, that's a bit. So it's not just enough to wear, you know, you can wear your gas mask, but you're going to have to decon it. And you're going to have to do it according to the recommendations. Well, and I, listen, I also want to, I, I tend to think that we want to shy away from people looking like we're already in a Mad Max post-apocalyptic future. And I'm not convinced. So, I, wearing, so I have to put my so, hockey mask away? Yeah, exactly. So like wearing a gas mask kind of makes it, you know, we're already to that level where like the world hasn't ended yet, yet. Um, so I, I think it's a bit much, but I understand the thought behind it. Right. As long as you're actually, you know, cleaning it appropriately. Right. Um, but no, it, it's an it's an important point that you put actually on the patient. Um, and then you also. Have to That's what I've been doing. Well. We go into a house with a respiratory. And listen, the vast majority of the calls we're going on lately is respiratory. Yeah. They get a they get a uh, surgical mask over their face. Um, we've been limiting uh, exposure. So instead of the, t- the whole team coming in and crowding around this patient, one person goes, does the assessment, does the things that need to be done. Everybody else stays that six feet back mm-hmm. and you can scribe, you can hand meds, you can do all the things that you're going to do without 
getting everybody exposed to the same stuff. Right. Well, and there's other operational things, too. Like, if the patient can ambulate, have them ambulate. Sure. You know, so you don't have to have four people around them when they're carrying them. Um, you know, one attendant in the back of the ambulance, those kind of things. Um, one of the, uh, yeah. Um, so those are all things that we can do, that social distancing. Um, and it seems like it's been working really well. So those are for the normal calls. Now, what if you get somebody that's hitting all those tick boxes and saying, okay, high fever, lethargic, dry, hacky cough. Um, what are we going to do? How do we handle this? So, and this is where you want to get the the most amount of PPE you can get. That's the gloves, the gown, the goggles, the N95 mask, everything. Right. Um, you also, well, I mean, the first thing that you, you should get notification like whoever is dispatching should gather that information and be like, this is a possible COVID-19 case. Right. Because the, cl- the complaints tend to be fairly ubiquitous. Um, it tends to be dry cough, high fever, um, almost universally. There's some people who have reported GI symptoms, but I think they're probably it's just... a smaller yeah, percentage, I, 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 I tend think. to think that's more of a coincidental thing. Um, so, yeah, and it, but it's going to be, you know, one person's going to go in, you know, gloved, gowned, masked, um, get the information again same thing if the patient can ambulate have them ambulate um you want to try and reduce exposure to your crew and then whoever can stay in the back of the truck stay in the back of the truck this is where it's going to come down to resource allocation so if you can reduce the crew that is with the patient reduce the crew that's with the patient right um if you can call your hospital like to let them know that it's coming in call your hospital let them know it's coming in if you're in a situation where there's if you're in a situation where there's actually like hmm. a receiving center that's not the hospital, take them there. Right. If, if you're, you know, there are some places around the United States that, and I mean, around the world, frankly, that have like receiving centers for patients with COVID-19, go there instead of the hospital. Like you have to, your organization has to have a plan in place. It's going to start with you and it's going to be, you know, walk in protected, keep everyone as protected as you can and try and keep everyone down the line as protected as possible. Yeah, I, I think that's... The biggest thing is to plan this out and slow down. Okay. We're not on a rush here. The calls will be there. The people are going to be there. What we have to do is literally slow down and think this through because by rushing, we're going to cause more problems than it's worth. Well, and so think about it this way too. Before you go into a cardiac arrest, typically you plan out what's going to be done. Yep. Right. So you've got airway, you know, you've got compressions, you've got meds. So we kind of lay out those roles before we go into cardiac arrest. This is one of those settings where you're going to have to lay out the roles before you actually get to the patient. Yeah, I think you do. Um, Who's going to make patient contact? Who's going to scribe? Who's going to be watching to make sure PPEs on? Who's going to be monitoring PPE coming off? Um, How are we going to move this patient? How are we going to get them to the ambulance? Um, all of these things need to be discussed and we should be doing it just, we should definitely just be doing it to protect ourselves and protect the patient. So let's talk about someone who actually has the complaint of the cough. Maybe you hear a wheeze and they're a candidate for a nebulizer. Again, this is something that's spread via droplets. So one of the best ways that you can probably avoid using a nebulizer would be to use a meter dose inhaler. Yeah, if you can go to MDIs, it's probably better for your albuterol or your duonebs. Uh, one of the things that we started doing was um, if we're going to give a neb, okay, I'm going to give it there. Yeah. Sit there for five minutes, give them the treatment, then move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I buy that. 
you know, because let the vapor stay there. It's already infected. Right. Well, and that's the issue with using an MDI over using an actual nebulizer because you don't want that, you know, medication vapor, those actual, you know, particulates flying through the air. So you just, and you don't want it in a confined ambulance. Right, exactly. And the, so that's another thing, too. And we can talk about how to decon an ambulance, even though we haven't really put out a whole lot about it. Um, but, you know, after you get your treatment, then you bring a patient into the hospital and you kind of move along your way. Um, the, that's kind of the big thing, because as far as other symptoms are concerned, we're going to treat symptoms. But for most people that have this illness, their biggest complaint is going to be their cough. Yeah. You know, they're going to have their fever. They're going to have their malaise. But we're not really going to be giving a lot of antipyretics out in the field. No. You know, so you're going to want, you know, cooling measures, you know, and this is where the one of the issues with the back of the ambulance is you don't want to turn the air conditioning on too high, you know, in the event that you're actually recirculating air through the back of the truck when you're trying to cool them. Um, but you do want to watch out for those particulates as far as airway management is concerned. Um, now, in our field, we're going to have patients who happen to be sick with this virus. And we're also going to have patients who also happen to be, you know, peri-arrest or who are very sick or we might have trauma patients who need to be RSI'd. So how do we actually start to approach those patients as well? Because the, the one thing that we have to consider, too, with all the coverage that this virus has been getting in the news, we're still going to have our regular patients. Right? No, I agree. Like there's They're still out there. We're still going to have the people who, you know, your standard chest pains, your, you know, your leg injuries, your twisted ankles. People are still going to get hit by cars. They're right. still going they to all fall down stairs. So you're going to have people who have this virus and then who also happened to get hit by a vehicle, for example. Yeah. You know, so let's talk about how we go about treating them. So for first and foremost, again, this is going to be anything that generates respiratory aerosol is going to be a bad thing. So we're going to want to stay away from that. Um, any potential exposure to that is going to potentially affect you. Um, you know, I can, I can tell you how we're kind of gaming it out. Um, I've been on Twitter with some really smart people, um, people like Chris Hicks and Min Kong and, you know, all these other people out there that are kind of trying to figure out solutions to this stuff. Um, one of the, one of the things that we're talking about is, Definitely video laryngoscopy over direct. Absolutely. And this is something that, I mean, I love direct laryngoscopy. I've got to change how I think. I've got to start using VL because VL will get you away from that fountain of stuff. Right. Um, one of the other things, one of the most ingenious things that I've seen is um, if you have like a plastic drop cloth, like you would use for painting, mm -hmm. like clear plastic, and you just tent it over the patient and you operate underneath. It's clear. You can move it. You're going to be able to see the, you're going to be able to intubate with your video laryngoscope. Um, and you don't, and it will trap the, the aerosols. Yeah. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a low tech solution, but it seems like it's where, like it's right. got some validity to it. So is it worth a shot? Yeah. As opposed to exposing everybody to this stuff. Probably. Yeah. Well, and again, and this is something that, you know, it's important to mention. We mentioned at the top of the show that this is all off label. We're not suggesting that you wrap your patient in a plastic drop cloth and then bring them into the hospital and be like, surprise. Now, please don't. <laughs> please don't <laughs> but, be that person. Know, if we're trying to reduce spread to all the providers, this is something that we can think about, right? So 
As far as the direct laryngoscopy thing is concerned, it's interesting to me that we're having this conversation as an industry because we've always kind of said, you know, I'm the most important person on scene. I don't want to spread things. And yet when we talk about DL, which I'm, I'm a direct laryngoscopy proponent, I, I still like direct laryngoscopy. Oh, me too. But you're still putting your face very close to the patient's face. And we always seem to kind of just not give it a second thought. Um, I know a bunch of people that have, I don't know if you do, Dan, but I know a bunch of people who have actually, you know, they wear goggles when they intubate. Yeah, I do now. But they don't wear masks, um, which is probably something you should do now. But like it, it took this pandemic to have that conversation. So let me take you through what my mental prep is right now to intubate one of these patients. I'm ready. Um, first and foremost, it's going to be preparation. I'm going to limit the amount of people in the ambulance or in the space. First thing. Well, first things first is preparation. If you're getting, I'm not getting down on the floor. I'm not getting into weird positions. This is going to be at my terms. You're going to choose, I'm going to choose the field of battle. I'm not going to put myself in an awkward position where I'm going to compromise my PPE to get a tube in. I can use a superglottic. I can use basic measures. I'll get them to where I can intubate them, but the, we've got to get away. I think as paramedics, we've got to get away from the idea of, I can tube somebody hanging upside down in a car in total darkness. You know, mm-hmm. it's it doesn't work that way. Well, and let's talk about superglottics, too, because and we've had this conversation on the show. I mean, just multiple times, but I, there's maybe no better time than now to just drop an SGA in a patient because you don't like it. It's entirely possible. And again, this is all anecdotal. There's no evidence necessarily to support it. But it might actually reduce the drop, the spread of droplets more than anything. It else. may reduce it as as opposed to just trying to do basic BLS BVM. Yeah. Okay. It's probably not as good as a sealed endotracheal tube in protecting from respiratory aerosol. So let's go back to let's let's go back. So I've got a patient. I need to intubate them. We've all decided this patient needs to be intubated. So first and foremost, the primary operator should be the should be the best intubator. Okay, this is not the time to give it to the rookie. This is not the time to spread tubes around. If you're not good at intubating, don't do it. And know whether or not you're good at intubating. Yeah, please like, don't. If you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm not sure, you're not good at intubating. No. It's just like, and this, can and, you get this first pass? Yeah, and it's not a criticism. You're not a bad person for it. No, but you you cannot. You're either good at intubating or you're not. And if you're looking at the patient, you're like, I'm not sure I can tube them. Then it's not your tube. It's not your tube. So that's the first thing. If once that person's been identified, now we get that person in PPE. That means a gown, okay? That means an N95 mask. That means a surgical mask with a face shield over that. And I also wear, I have my own wraparound, you know, glasses or goggles that I will wear just to make sure that I don't get anything on me. Then the gloves and all the other stuff. So... Now that that's protect, so now that most of that is protected, prepare your video laryngoscope. Make sure you have your stuff out. Make sure you have your suction out. Make sure that everything is there. Again, limit the amount of people in that in that space. If you only need two clinicians to do this, perfect. Okay. Um, apneic oxygenation may be contributing to respiratory aerosol spread. Um, some of the ideas that have been coming out of social media are. If you have somebody, if you're going to use for pre-oxygenation, use the BVM, two-hand mask seal with a peep valve and let the air flow almost like a, like a closed circuit, like a CPAP yep. almost. 
um, while that's pre-oxygenating. Um, RSI is preferable. If you're a place that uses RSI, you should be using it because it's going to cut down cough and respiratory reflexes. Right, and that's just simply put, just because you're you're paralyzing the patient's diaphragm, so they're not going to be able to actually correct you know, expectorate whatever they have in their lungs. Correct, um, and that's why. And also sooner rather than later. Yeah, sooner you, rather than later. And this is what we're talking about with those head trauma patients. If you think you're going to be in a situation where your patient's going to be a candidate to you know to actually be RSI'd, pull that trigger you know, toward the early end of the decision-making than later. Because, again, it helps reduce the amount of people that have interacted with the patient. Once you paralyze them, then it's kind of more controlled. Right. And, and you know, this is something that you're going to have to plan out. It's just something that we're going to have to start thinking about and discussing. Um, you know, the ideas of all the stuff that we've learned and all the stuff that people talk about, you know, shared mental models, getting everybody on the same page, making sure that we know what we're talking about and what we're going to do. It's much more important right now. Um, so that's how then, then, so anyway, going back to the intubation, I think what we're going to try is we are going to try the plastic sheet. We're going to put that over the patient just to kind of cover and to cut down the amount of stuff. Uh, I'm going to play with it on an airway mannequin tonight and, uh, see what I can do. And, uh, if we get some pictures up, maybe, uh, take a look, but there's, there's tons of stuff on social media about this. And then once it's done, confirm your tube, we get everything done. Be very scrupulous about removing the PPE or be very scrupulous about moving people with, you know, moving the patient through this stuff. Um, and afterwards, decon, 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 decon. You have to decon. Um, everything's got to get wiped down with, with a, with an, you know, with your, your wipes or your, you know, your anti whatever, you know, the, the antiseptics. Yeah, and, and, and this is something where, and again, this is another thing where we've talked about this as providers forever, where you have to decon after each patient, you know, using bleach wipes, whatever. Again, this is not a time to screw around. This is where, you know what, we've had a patient, we're going to take 10 minutes to clean off the stretcher and all this other stuff. That's why we say if you can have the patient ambulate, have them ambulate because it, it's, there's less contamination to the stretcher and to the ambulance or to your stair chair or to the back here or whatever. So, you know, and... I, I don't want to suggest, you know, if you can have the patient sit on the bench seat or sit in the captain's chair where they're strapped in, if they can safely do that, that might actually help reduce the spread. This is, and again, this is kind of an uncharted territory for a lot of us, where it's, this is about risk reduction that we've always kind of talked about, but we've not really actually implemented. True. Right. Another thing that's, it's, and it's, it's kind of a tangential thing, but hospitals are already stopping visitors from coming in. Mm -hmm. And so... Yes, if we're pre-hospital and you want someone to come with a patient to the, to the hospital, I fully appreciate that, but they're just going to have to find another way to get there. They're not even letting them in. Yeah, and they shouldn't be. That, but that's the, what I'm the saying. Pla the, places in our, the places in my area now, um, they're not allowing visitors. So you can come in the ambulance with us, but you're going to stand outside. Well, but, but what I'm suggesting is that I'm not sure that I would let someone in my ambulance. I understand the the risk and the the concern for it, but what's going to happen is if I put a, if I have a guest in the ambulance of the patient, then they're going to get to the hospital and they're just going to turn the guest away. Yeah. So now I have we've been telling we've we been have someone just, just like, hanging outside. The we, we've been telling family members like, look, we're going to take them, but you you're not going to be allowed in. They're not going to let you stay with them. And you know, we'll take a what I've been doing is I'll take a name and a phone number, and I'll pass that along at the hospital, and that'll be the point of contact. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's probably valid. So, 
Um, but yeah, I, there, there's a lot of stuff to go along with the airway thing. Um, I just, and again, it, it's very difficult to kind of project forward what's going to happen or, you know, how we're going to treat patients moving forward or what's going to happen to EMS as a practice moving forward. Uh, yeah, I think it's way too early to speculate on any of it. I don't think, I, I think it would almost be irresponsible for us to see, well, what's this, what's going to come out of it. So, sorry. Right, so let, let's, let's jump on one more thing real quick. Um, what about cardiac before, arrests? So I, I'm not convinced that cardiac arrests are more of a problem because again, with the respiratory droplet thing, you know, if you already have a patient who's in an arrest, I think it's going to come down. It, again, it comes down to risk management. You're going to have to have less gonna exposure have to take your as you time. possibly can. Um, you know, I, I think the most important, so one of the things that happens with COVID-19 specifically is we've talked about patients going into ARDS and like that. And odds are if the patient goes into ARDS, what's going to happen is they'll be in the hospital. But if they're not, we are finding patients that have um, you know, a cardiomyopathy a couple of days after the ARDS. So yeah. you may have patients who were sick, got discharged, went home um, and remained sick or patients that just never went to the hospital and may be affected by it. But I tend to think that and I have no data to back this up. This is just thinking out loud. It's all anecdotal right now. Yeah, I, I tend to think that cardiac arrests are probably going to be treated generally the same. Again, with PPE, I think mechanical CPR probably better if you can get an auto pulse or sure. Lucas on them. Um, again, limit as many people as possible, um, and consider your outcomes and consider your downtimes and things like that. Um, if you're in a place that transports every cardiac arrest, I. I think you need to have start having that dialogue with your medical directors and your hospitals because I don't know that they're going to have resources to be able to deal with this. Well, and that's the most important thing is this resource management thing. If you're bringing dead bodies into the hospital, that's one less bed for someone who might actually be really sick. Uh, I think we need to start thinking about that. Which, and again, that, that frankly has always been the conversation, uh, or should have been. It should have been. And now it's turning into a much more important thing. Um, I do want to talk about one last thing before we head out. Um, because just again, this is kind of the only thing that is happening in, in the world right now. Um, actually, yesterday as we're well, that in my this, stocks. Waka 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 waka. Um, God, yeah, that's a whole other yeah. thing. Um, we will throw that up on a Patreon. We'll do a political talk. Yeah, <laughs> want to have that? That'll be fun. Uh, yeah. Um, so one of the things that came out there was a study that came out yesterday again as we're recording this. Uh, it's a small sample out of France. Um, and what they did was they used hydroxychloroquine, which is a, an anti-malarial drug in combination with azithromycin compared to placebo, uh, and they found that it reduced viral load um, fairly significantly. So um, here's the thing. This is interesting. It's always nice to hear some kind of study. You are going to hear news about this. This is why we're mentioning it. The first thing to mention is hydroxychloroquine is approved for malaria only in the United States. This has not been approved for treatment of COVID-19 as we're reporting it. Um, it's also a very small sample size. Yeah. So is it something that might work? Yes, it might. Um, hypothetically. Hypothetically. But we do want you to have the information that is a study that, that exists. It's out there. You can see it tweeted a whole bunch. But the reason I wanted to mention it is because you're now starting to see it in the news because it was announced that this essentially cures COVID-19, which, which is not true. Not true. Um, but also you have the, you know, the Surgeon General, uh, the head of WHO, saying that it's you know not... Uh, not a cure 
Um, it's also not really approved for that kind of treatment. And so. also, this is this is not a drug with a really wide safety profile. Yep. This is something that's oh, not a. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't know enough about it to actually start like to talk about it. But some of the things that I've heard are it may actually make things worse. They don't know. You know, we don't know what we don't know about this drug yet. Um, so when you see this in the media that they're talking about, it's a potential cure. It, I don't know that it is right now. It may have some promising effects, but. And I don't know that we're going to get to doing randomized control trials on it, multi-center stuff, because I don't think we have time. But we need to be really careful. We need to be really skeptical. And one of the things with hydroxychloroquine, while it's, and again, this is we're not going to get into a pharmacodynamics conversation, but it's one of the drugs that works against malaria, but the mechanism isn't entirely known. Um, you know, and long-term side effects. That always worries me. I mean, it, it, we know that it works, and there's there's thought, there's a conceived mechanism behind it, but we don't really know entirely how it works, which is perfectly fine. Um, you know, long-term side effects are things like headache and tinnitus and all that, but the, the bigger concern is with azithromycin, um, you know, I, I worry about throwing more Z-packs at people for a virus, and then that's going to cause more long-term problems down the road. Because we're already have we're already giving too many Z packs as is. Oh, so you're talking about the 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 cocktail of azithro, azithromycin and um, fluoroquinolone, hydroxychloroquine, Hydro- hydroxychloroquine. Um, yeah. So um, and, and again, this is, and believe me, the, before you guys start blowing me up on Twitter and Instagram and all that, this is just me thinking out loud. Um, you know, I we have nothing to back this up. It's just kind of a thought process. I. For something that we don't know that works, I just don't want us to. Here, keep here's my take. Here's my take on this. They were desperate. Yeah. They threw something at the wall. It stuck to a couple sure. things, and now they're trying to see why it's stuck. And that's. I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's understandable. It's understandable based on the situation, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. The best way we're going to fix this and get ahead of this is by flattening the curve, staying, keeping your distance. Mm-hmm scrupulous hand hygiene and PPE use and be your brother's keeper or sister's keeper out there. Make sure that people are wearing their masks. Make sure that they're fitted for their masks. Make sure that they have eye protection. Make sure that they're wearing gloves, that they're deconning after every patient. Take the time and do the job right. That's what's going to help everybody. If you're sick, stay home. Right, which is the most important thing. And if also, you're, staying home is phenomenal. You like know, this is, I got to say, this has not been bad. <laughs> there's 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 a bit that John Mulaney did in one of his stand-up specials where he's like, when it comes to like adult enjoyment, canceling plans is like heroin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's the best thing. You know, it was funny. Where I, was out, I was out walking my, I was out, out walking the dog with, you know, my wife and the neighbor and, you know, they were all like, well, and this is, you know, and they're teaching school, but they're teaching school from distance. So they have their classes. Their classes are up in the morning. They do their stuff on their computers. And it's funny. We're, we're joking about the commute. Like, oh, I have to go downstairs and go to work right. now. You know, it's like. Well, and that's, and Mike and I are going to talk about this on a, on a future med school medic as far as schools, schooling from home. And, you know, turns out work from home can be done a lot. But yeah, there, um, there might be. I mean, I hate to say it, you know, like, you know, we joked about Monty Python, but there may be some things that come out of this. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of really interesting. That Things that we thought we couldn't do in the past, yep. 
we actually can do. There's going to be a lot of really interesting. I mean, look at the, the National Registry just basically said, oh, the limits on distance learning for a recertification. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry about yeah, that anymore. Ahead, and and let's be honest, why not? Well, right, we're living in. 2020. What's the point? We're listening to the 21st century. I mean, I can yeah. get. I can if get I can't access. have flying cars as I was promised in sci-fi movies, I want to have online education. I there you go. It. Gull demands it. Um, <laughs> wow. So, so that's it for uh, for this episode of the Overrun. And just for a reference point, in the uh, little over a half hour or so since we've been recording, there's been a couple hundred uh, additional deaths reported throughout the world through Hopkins. So this is something that is uh, is spreading and is still a problem. So. Be sure, stay safe, take care of yourself, take care of everybody else. Um, uh, don't really- forget, uh, check us out, check out our YouTube channel and the MD1 yep. program YouTube channel. Um, our medical director, Dr. Mark Merlin, has been doing daily updates. Uh, if you leave questions in the comments section, we will get them to him yep. and he will give you his take on this. Um, he's been up on this pretty much incessantly since... Uh, this really started breaking last week um check us out on instagram check us out on twitter um social media is a big disseminator of fomed and there are some really smart people out there that have some really interesting solutions and again take this stuff back to your agencies take it back to your medical directors take it back to your your clinical people and maybe we can kind of flatten this curve a little bit and help get through this yeah and that's really the whole goal so let us know what you think you guys know how to find us and for the overrun i'm ed bowder i'm dan schwester and we'll talk to you guys uh whenever we talk to you next yeah wash your hands stay safe